So, the kickoff, what we're going to do is do some quick introduction for everyone. I don't want to hear their backstory, but if you could all just tell me what you are and what, what you are, where you work, and what your name is. Sure. Hi, I'm Lottie. I'm founder of Copy Club, which is a community for marketing people and startups. Uh, I'm Dave. I'm founder of Pratura Ventures. Uh, I'm different because I am a VC who's not based in London and I don't have a London accent. <laughs> what he means is he's the only VC in the UK that is northern and wears a hoodie. Okay. <laughs> That's my, that is my brand. That's his brand. Hi, uh, I'm Molly. I am CEO and co-founder of Flexer. And Flexer is the global directory for verified flexible companies. I'm Paddy, co-founder of Odin. Um, we build tools for people to invest together. So the reason we invite these people on today is because we have a diversity of founders and experts and funders and people who are constantly working with helping people raise money. So we've got a good diversity of opinions. So hopefully that'll spark some debate. Now, what we're going to start off with is something we call on the show, on the Back Self Show, the Startup Sin Bin. And what that is, is where we talk about something that we wish wasn't in startup culture. And then we just debate about why it's so shit or why it's amazing. So I'm going to kick off with Paddy. If you could get rid of one thing from the startup community, what would it be? Get rid of or change or just have to be get rid of completely. What's up to you, buddy? So I'm going to bang my own drum here. I'm going to say I think we, could, we should change fundamentally our investment culture in Europe specifically. Um, I think there's a couple of things we need to do. I think we need to make it more ambitious. Um, I think you need to make it sort of more imaginative and broader. Um, and I think we need to improve or change who is doing the investing and, and widen that net, you know, sort of get rid of the investment banking to VC uh, pipeline. Mm-hmm. So on that- Or get rid s- of, but build upon. So when you say more ambitious, and I'm poking a bear here, so you think <laughs> that you should only be, in, so there should be more businesses that are aiming to be decacorns, megacorns, I, I don't know if like value, I don't know if valuation, like our, our culture, startup culture in general is very much about like glorifying fundraising, glorifying VC. I think that can attract like people who are interested in status. Uh, and part of that's like how much my business is valued at, which doesn't really matter because everyone's got liquidation preferences. If you sell for less, you'll end up with nothing anyway. So it's, it's sort of paper value. Um, I think it's more about like, what are we investing in and why? So I think we, we sort of live in a bubble where Everyone reads the same things, uh, comes from similar niches, and they lack uh, a, a broadness of experience. And because they lack a broadness of experience, they can't see uh, around corners as well as they could in terms of what opportunities can be big and can be impactful. Um, so I think that's, you know, diversity of opinion is important on that. And then it's also like, what backgrounds do people have? What have they done before, right? Like, if you look at venture in general, there's a lot of people, in Europe especially, who've got a background in investment banking or management consulting, which I think is very good, you know, and teaches you to, to think linearly quite well and think about things like, you know, market size and value from a spreadsheet perspective. But I don't think it allows you to think about like uh, future value and product very well. And I think, you know, especially at the early stages, we need more product thinkers, more people with direct experience doing the stuff. And then building on that, I would say we basically only fund like software as a service or software more broadly. There's a lot more we could be doing in biotech, especially in the UK. But um, I don't think we're, we're fostering the people with the knowledge in that niche and like getting them 
getting capital in their hands and letting them deploy capital as well as we could. Nice. Molly, as you're somebody who's just finished the fundraising round and has you know, obviously been through that, have you found that you were, because you're not a typically a SaaS tool or whatever, you found it harder to raise? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a glorification of like SaaS products and everything that's online. And like ultimately, yes, we are a website, like we have software, but we would never call ourselves a SaaS company. We don't have a SaaS model subscription, like don't really, it's not really software as a service at all. Um, and we definitely had so much pushback on that. Like how scalable is it? It's like, it's not just SaaS that's scalable. Like there are other options. Yeah, so true. As um, the enemy, what do you think? <laughs> what do you think about this? Uh, I think that um, VC generally in the UK should be a bit more ambitious. I think we should be trying to fund genuinely consequential businesses. And I think it's very easy for VC to get into that mindset of it's only SaaS, it's only tech. Uh, they're the only things to invest in. I think a broader range of, 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 thing, of businesses are venture-backable. Um, there are some businesses which are str a struggle for ventures to back, and that's fine, but I think there is more that could be funded than currently probably is. And I think there's far too much of, in, in my experience of VC, where you almost take a business that's doing what it's doing really well and then almost try and change it into a SaaS business so we can get a higher valuation because the recurring revenue is more valuable. And it's like, why don't we just let the business be good at what it fucking does in the way it makes sense? And then we should be able to work out what the valuation is at the end of it. If you create a great business, everyone will win. If you take a great business and turn it a bit average because you make it like everything else you're actually you're, you're, you're destroying value not creating value but it probably makes the VC feel smart nice which is what matters yeah. massively yeah <laughs> uh, and, and Lottie so obviously you're a marketing expert does it does it drive you mad when you see people announcing fundraising and success about their business because they're constantly saying they're raising money but they're not necessarily shouting about the other great things they're doing in the business yeah, I think this is my sin bin. Like, the thing that drives me well, mad. You can't have it because you're taking it. <laughs> well, no, no. I went very broad. Oh, you... Mine is the opposite. Well, so the thing doing, that bugs me... You're doing my I'm, I'm jumping right in. Oh, fine. Okay. The thing that bugs me is exactly what we're saying, like twofold. This obsession with, with raising money being the only thing that's newsworthy and the only thing that defines success. So I come at this from two perspectives. One, I'm a marketer who thinks that there's like an awful lot of really interesting stories within businesses that the ecosystem should care about beyond just the check you've raised. And I, I, that's not to do a disservice to the founders who put all the work in to raise the money, but there's loads of other brilliant things that can get like that much attention and clout and, and build that much belief behind something. And then my other perspective, which is much more personal, is I'm a bootstrapped business. I have no intention of ever raising. And the thing that drives me mad about startup culture is that that's made, that like by definition makes me some like irrelevant, lesser, lowly being that's kind of limited to like people who run cafes and florists and you know, exist in an ecosystem that, that is different. Yeah. And I don't think what I'm trying to do is different or in any way like less ambitious, but I will never have that story about the check I've raised because that's just not the way I want to build and fund my business. And what, and so, so taking that, so what is an example of something that, to be practical, what's an example of something that founders should be shouting about instead? Like real wins, wins that are customer driven. So impact you've had on the people that you're building to solve for, which is like exactly what you were just saying, that there's a huge amount that's great about companies. That that's what we should talk about. That that's what we should focus on, not how you successfully pivoted to a fund to a model that is investable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point on pivoting to a model that's investable. 
people end up like trying to shoehorn themselves. Yes. I sort of said this as well that they like people try and shoehorn themselves into something that they're not, and that can actually end up killing the company yeah. rather than like. If you, I think if you follow what you're doing, there's so many businesses, there's so many stories of bootstrap businesses that end up becoming very big, or they have like their inflection point after 15, 20 years. Exactly. Right. Like the reason VCs have a certain model is they've got a fund lifetime, right? 10 years plus one plus two, right? But really they need to wind up the fund and return money to investors within a time period. And that means everything has to fit within like a narrow rubric of what good looks like. And I think that limits our ability to build big, impactful companies, actually. Can I just add something to that? So when we set up Richard Venture, we launched our first fund. I did all the analysis. So we did deal by deal to begin with the first like, eight years of our life. And I did all the analysis, what had gone well, what had gone badly. And I came up with this really tight definition of what we were going to invest in. And I thought I was fucking smart. And I've, most of my career has been thinking I was smart and then realizing I absolutely am not. Uh, but I came up with this really tight definition. And we worked with that for a while. And we found that in the end, we were just like, we're just lying to ourselves to tell ourselves that it fits this really yeah. tight criteria. And we're almost like taking reoccurring revenue or something and trying to convince ourselves it's SaaS when it wasn't. Actually, what we should have been doing was, you know, really, really simple things. VC is fundamentally simple. Find and back exceptional founders who are doing great things and then help them build a great business. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Like, I mean, you can be like, you can talk about what your size is and what type of businesses you might invest in. But we tried to be really narrow and I tried to be really smart and it was absolutely killing us. And we were part of that problem of trying and tell the founder to just, just look a bit like this, fit into our neat box. Yeah. It's bullshit. Like, and we, I, I've made that mistake. So I, I'm happy to hold my hands up and say, I was definitely part of that problem. And it's just not right. Well, I appreciate your honesty. Um, You'll find I mainly spend my time talking about how stupid I am. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> and you actively chose not to announce your funding. Not for a while, no. We kind no. of did it when we eventually thought the time was right. And it was, um, you know, there was lots of other things that we were sharing at that time. We were like, we're going to spend loads of time with our PR company. So over there. Um, writing the right press release, definitely getting all the quotes that we wanted from investors and we used it more like a big kind of PR drive for people to understand the company rather than just being like Woo, we raised 2.3 million pounds like that's exciting but there's so much more to that like where's that going to take us why did our investor invest like what's the story behind that instead of just being like I have this achievement or where am I going to go yeah. um, so it's about the detail and then we wanted to Rush's point of like make it more marketable like carry on with it keep talking about what we're going to do and the progress we're going to make in fairness, you are in the newspaper every 11 seconds anyway, so you've got to dilute <laughs> that message. Okay, what is your startup sim bin? Uh, I mean, there's loads. <laughs> just loads. <laughs> it's just loads. I think the biggest thing is, um, and we actually talked about this before the show, like, there's this weird thing where it seems like there's a battle between VCs and founders, and the two can never meet, and everyone's got a different thing, and Founders have to tell a story that matches exactly what the founder wants it to be, whether it's about runway, growth, all that sort of stuff. And then VCs, like, I think a lot of VCs spend a lot of time trying to convince themselves how smart they are and how much smarter than the founders they are and all that good stuff. And, and it's, not, it's not got a great rep, VC, for, for, for quite good reasons, I think. And what I'd want to get rid of is that battle. Why can't we just have, this is what we're trying to do as a founding team. This is where we are. This is what we're trying to achieve. And the founder and the VCs get to answer the question of, would you like to invest in it? 
everyone has an honest conversation and it, sometimes you invest and sometimes you don't. And instead of it being like founders and VCs at loggerheads, I just think if everyone was just a bit more open and honest and transparent, which does require a lot of trust, and I'm sure lots of founders are going, if I was honest to VCs, they'd never invest in me. <laughs> so I get that this is a, this is a, it's a, it's a bit of a pipe dream, it might never happen, but why is that the case? Why is it a battle? Why shouldn't it be? Because as I said before, VCs are actively looking to invest, right? It's not like we're guardians of money and we don't want to give it out. We're actively looking to try and find founders who are exceptional to invest in. Why can't there be just more honesty, authenticity, and, and trust in the process such that the right founders find the right VCs and that builds a great partnership and great businesses and consequential businesses? But we can't trust, we can't trust the process <laughs> because the process is broken. Like, if we trust the process... Nothing like founders will be more exploited. There'll be more of a power imbalance. Like, that's well, we'll never get anywhere with that sort of mental attitude. But I don't think that you can say like founders and VCs, they just need to get on. Like ultimately changing the system is in the hands of the VCs, not really the founders. Oh, I'm, sorry. If this came across in any way as a founders issue, I, like, I'm not saying it's not a founders 50, issue. 50, I think it's like a, it's a VC issue. It's a, yeah. it's a thing that VCs need to be able to deal with the truth in a better way and not expect people to just look and fit into their boxes. But, it's the whole thing. It is what, a are, what are the constraints that are making, like what are the incentives that are making them think that way? Like is, is it also, like to play devil's advocate, they have a duty to their LPs as well, right? Obviously. So, and sometimes, there's a good book by Bill Janeway where he writes about this and he talks about like um, founders lie, some founders become incompetent, make bad decisions with lots of money. VCs do need the right and the ability with proper governance to be able to step in and like make changes, right? Because they've got an obligation to all the shareholders in the business as well. So you can't be like completely founder friendly. No, of course you Maybe can't. Maybe in 2020, 2021, right? But no, like, no, you, of course you had to be to, to write a check. But I don't, think, I don't think I'm saying that. So I think like the post-investment stuff should be a partnership and that should be worked, that should be worked through and it should be really clear where lines of responsibility lie and don't lie. I'm talking about the, the whole process of raising capital. And yes, there's got to be diligence done. And yes, like if founders are lying about stuff, like it is our job to work that out, right? And unfortunately, it's, that is a fact of life. But the idea that we have to come at this with, we must not tell people the truth. We must not show any vulnerability. We must not show any weakness. We can't say what the bad bits in the business are and almost like challenge the VC to find those bits. And then the VCs who are like, as you say, have a duty to investors, like go fucking search. Like that's how, I mean, that's how public like, markets work, right? Like you write your reports and display all the information. I think the problem with that for private companies is you're trying to create like a reality distortion field where you're telling people one thing and then the reality inside your business might be very different. But if you can maintain the distortion of reality for long enough, then yeah. you can get to the point where you're, it is what you're, you're saying. Com you're coming at this from a point of saying that, you know, you can't, you can't, you, there has to be a, a battle because otherwise you can't make good investments. I'm coming at this from a point of saying, if you are a, a business that focuses on, you know, doing three things really well, finding back exceptional founders, you know, help them, help them build great businesses. If you come at it from a point, a genuine point that we're just trying to find great people to invest in and we can handle the truth and understand businesses aren't perfect, you can still make great investment decisions. You can still build great businesses. 
you're coming at it from the point of founders are flaking, we have to fucking tell them how the world is. And that's not, that isn't my experience. Mm. Like VC should be backing founders to build great things. And that doesn't mean we back every founder, it doesn't mean we believe every story. That means doing your work to find the people right. you can work with. I think, interestingly, the, the, the sort of the point of view you've come across with is the, exactly the kind of thing that, I'm try, that I think is flawed, which is founders are lying, VCs are the people who have to be the guardians of LP money, and we have to be the, the, the observers of truth, and we're somehow better at understanding a founder's business than they are. Like, I might be going at this from a, like, far too much of a ideological thing, and I'm sure there's problems and there's diligence to do, and not everyone will agree with everyone. But I genuinely think we should be trying to make this industry better, because at the moment, as everyone acknowledges, it does feel broken. Yeah. It does feel broken. And that battle between founders and VCs is one of the things that is massively broken. I, th I, don't, I don't think you can fix it. And the reason I say that is because I, I can't. If you, I well, can't no, fix I know it. You, you, def can't. you definitely can't. If you take the analogy of like a, um, if you're like on a, it's a first date, right? That's basically, you've got two people there who might end up doing business together or might end up in a relationship. You've got like that first date scenario. It's unlikely that one of them is going to be like, oh, how'd you spend your spare time? I consume about nine hours of UFC content every day. You're not going to say that on your opening gambit, are you? you know? yeah, but there's, so there's... when you're in that dynamic, you're doing everything you can to impress that person. Right, yeah. because okay. they have but what okay. you want. So let's take that dating analogy a bit further, right? So if I'm you... not very good at dating, so I'm a bad example. As a man who's been divorced, apparently neither am I. Uh, <laughs> but I am now with my new one. Um, so like the, the purpose of that date or trying to build a partnership is right, you you want to spend time with them for a long, for the future, yeah. right? What's better about that, right? How do you build that relationship? Is it better that you present your best side and tell them all the great things and ignore the fact that you're a, you're a closet UFC fan and whatever else your flaws are? Or is it better that over time, yeah, maybe not on the first date, you present your best side, you know, don't turn up thinking and all that sort of stuff. But over time, you actually, get to know each other and all the flaws and all the great things and you fall in love and you go away you go and have a relationship right so yeah on the first date you're not going to you, you're not going to come in and say I'm a, I'm a piece of shit who loves UFC content I don't know why you I, I, I didn't say piece of, I didn't say piece of shit at any time in that you've escalated that massively but, but like if you're trying to build that relationship it is important you understand what the flaws are and what the, the challenges are and maybe I'm being too romantic and idealistic, but I think that you, sh you should be able to have a conversation about, here are the things we do really, really well. Here are the things we do really badly. This is what we're trying to build. Would you like to come on a journey with us? And if that's the, if that's the premise, then yeah. And by the way, I absolutely can't, can't solve this. <laughs> I'm not even in fucking London. Okay. <laughs> I'm not even in the heart of that's VC. The I know the other thing as well, and just bitching about VCs while we can. It is really frustrating when you, all, most of the VC vernacular that you get on like Twitter or whatever is that they'll simplify the entirety of running a business into one tweet. And they'll be like, look, you need to focus on this and this and this and nothing else. You're like, fuck you. Like, I've got to worry about what color my pool table is going to be. Oh, this is really hard. You don't understand. Well, the, the important thing on a pool table is always to put your logo in it on the if that is the issue then right. I can fix it I, I think some outside counsel can be good right and like one of the things that VCs do have is like 
the analogy of having seen lots of other businesses that aren't exactly the same and how they've approached problems and solved yeah. them. So like, you know, sometimes that advice can be can be good. But sometimes. yeah, I, mean, I, 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 agree with, I agree with you. Like ideally in any relationship, you want to build trust and be able to be honest, right? Like whatever relationship you're in. I, I think dating is a really good analogy. When it first starts, you need to like present your best self. Um, and then over time, you can be exposed sort of like warts and all, but it strikes me that maybe that's more like the point at which they've invested. And then now they're like, okay, we're in it. And now we're, we're ride or die sort of like with you. Yeah, maybe. Okay, let's move on before we hate all the VCs. Um, your turn, Molly, what is your startup send in? It's just gonna be a continuation of the same thing. Um, I think it's actually the root cause of like all of the problems that we've talked about. And the thing that I would eradicate is the power imbalance between VC and startup. Ultimately, I think the whole system is based on the premise that startups need VCs and venture capital backs startups. Obviously they do, but everybody forgets that VCs need startups. Like ultimately, otherwise there's no VC. Like that was, that was that's my point, right? Exactly. We're, we're looking for these people to invest in, right? Yeah. We've raised the money to invest in great businesses and make returns. Everyone is looking for the same thing. But that power imbalance. With the exception of yourself. Well, it's always good to be there because there's fewer of them than there are of us. Yeah, but that, that, but that power imbalance, I think it's it's based on, or at least from my experience, it's based on a lack of respect. And I think that that is a really prevalent and persistent problem. And if you actually, I've had, I can talk about horror stories all day, but like I've spoken to VCs where they've started every single question with no. You're, you're pitching and they're like, no, that can't be the case. What about this? Or but, but haven't you thought about this? And that total, like imagine speaking to somebody like that on a first date. But they're like, I'm a, I don't know, I'm a teacher. No, oh, yeah. that's not really the career <laughs> I want you to be doing. Um, <laughs> like, what but, is okay, that about? So, so, so the power imbalance is definitely, is something that has to, like, you almost can't get away from it. Because you say there's more founders who want PC funding than probably is VC. However, how VCs go about that approach is fraught. And yeah. there's so many horror stories. One of the things that I talk about with my team a hell of a lot is founders are our customers. Yeah. You can get, you can have a power imbalance and still give a founder a great experience. You can, yeah. you can invest or not invest and still give founders a great experience, yeah. which is about going to the meeting, trying to learn something, going to the meeting with an open mind rather than I've decided I don't really like this. I'm going to try and prove to myself why I shouldn't invest. Yeah. Like there is a way you can do that. And that is through having respect and being humble and open to learning. And the last thing you want to do, uh, in my opinion, one of the things that like, I really don't want Petro Ventures to spend time talking about is like, oh, well, we've got a portfolio of 28 businesses and, and you know, in this case, you need to do this, right? It's a great story what another business did, but it's not you and it's not your business and it's not the exact same issue. And, and that sort of portfolio wisdom is just yeah. bullshit. So I, I think it comes down to the the approach of VCs, the mindset of VCs, the people VCs employ, you need to employ more diverse you know, investors. We need to have more diverse GPs. We need to have more founders who've turned into VCs. Change that, change the people, change the system and change the approach. And then you might, be, have, might find a way of minimizing that power imbalance, which is one of those truths that can, you know, we can't, it's an immutable truth, right? That it will exist. I think but you can deal with it back. There's a couple of points over here that are like ecosystem maturity, right? Yeah. So like, firstly, not enough VCs in Europe have built companies or even worked at companies. So they've got very little like frame of reference. And then secondly, not, a lot of, not enough of them yet have had their fingers burned 
where they've said no to someone and then they've gone on to make a lot of money. And if you look at like Silicon Valley, that's happened a lot. Um, and that gives the investors humility because they realize, oh, this could have been a really big opportunity and I passed on it and I don't know as much as I thought I, I knew. Um, and then I also think like there's always going to be some power imbalance, not power imbalance, but power dynamic in any relationship. Right? Of course. And you just need to flip it on them, right? So yeah. like <laughs> you, you need to make them chase you rather than you. Of course, being you can, the, you can but then why aren't we playing all those games? Like why can't there be an understanding that it is ultimately a symbiotic relationship, right? I that agree. somebody might hold seventy percent of the power and the other person might hold thirty, but there is still a mutual dependence on each other. You need to find the right investors. Exactly. I think. And I, I think there's there's fewer of those investors in Europe. That's yeah. why if you have conversations with American VCs, they're very different types of conversations. There's a few there are more and more of these of these people in Europe now, and like part of what we're doing is about trying to empower more people to be operator investors and to. I mean, it's all about what we're, we're doing, really. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's interesting research on this as well. These people don't necessarily perform better from a investment returns perspective, right? So CB Insights did some research where they compared like people who've got like a founder or operator background versus people who don't and came directly from banking or consulting, whatever. And they don't necessarily outperform in terms of fund returns. But what I think you do get is just like a better understanding. And maybe also that, that seeps into the ecosystem in general and affects the behavior of how everyone invests. Um, but I don't know if it's any, actually any better in the US. Probably, they probably have the same complaints we do. I think it is also more than just a, like, a statement of the VC landscape. Like if I'm listening to the language we were all using, like, conversation five minutes ago we were talking about how founders lie like all of us use that word i think i was saying they didn't i was trying well, to yeah you were, you were like there was like the the way we talk about that is is inherently disrespectful and actually if you flip that like sure there's a handful of founders who outright lie there's a load of founders who are creating like this shield this like future vision creating a sense of disbelief to create a story that is investable because where they're at isn't investable, but it's the future vision. And that's, that's like the, the role you're playing in the date. And I just think a bit of this is that we need to champion the little guy more. And it's not just about saying it's for the VC to change their view and the VC landscape to shift. Yeah. But also I do, think there's a, I do think there's like a problem around respect of founders that I think underpins this. And I think is a bit more endemic than just like one part of the party changing the way they behave. And that we can back each other a bit more. To address the elephant in the room, do you think there's a difference between men and women when it comes to that stuff? Or yes, <laughs> you do. I do. Yeah. I, I think. Well, it depends on what what you're talking about—the difference with men and women when it comes to that stuff. But like raising money as a female founder is all data would suggest a lot harder. Like, and it, I don't think it matters whether there's a, whether there's a woman or a man on the other side of the table. Most of the time, like we were fortunate in the fact that. We raise money, now half of our capital is held by women. Like, that's been great. I'd say probably as, like, an anecdotal story, that would show that maybe women want to back women and they want to help support that. But I've had so many. I have, I've had questions like, you know, why are you doing this as a female founder? Like, what do you want to do? Don't you want to eventually kind of sell this and have children and have a family? Like, those assumptions, as a woman, like, a man doesn't get. And the way that I've been spoken to at times, like, when we first started fundraising, Morris, who's my partner and co-founder... We were pitching to a VC 
they were asking questions, I was answering them, and then they would address Morris afterwards to ask him another question, even though I was asking it. And I think that that respect, like to come back to your respect point, I think there's a difference between how men and women are treated. Like founders are generally kind of shat on a bit, I think, but I think female founders have an even tougher time because even in society, there is more of a lack of respect when it comes to women doing things that they're not expected to be doing. Yeah. I imagine there has to be like a bit of, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so um, before we move into the next segment, my startup sim bin is um, selfies on LinkedIn. Anyone want to comment on that? <laughs> is that? Is that only related to startups? I'm just asking if anyone here ever puts these selfies on LinkedIn. Why would you let me say this? Just ask the question. Does anyone here put lots of selfies on LinkedIn? I put two on. Two. Okay. I have a very academic, strong view on this. As someone who just stood outside taking a camera roll of selfies. Oh, did you? Oh, my bad. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't don't worry, that. Tom. I've got them ready for you. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I take LinkedIn very seriously. LinkedIn is the only way I've grown my business. It's the one marketing channel I have. Well, I'm, I'm really passionate about it. I am very diligent, is the word. Like is the reframe you're missing. My bad. Uh, and con- consistent. Um, I was told about a year ago that it's like the Kellogg's cornflakes thing where the tiger on the Frosty's box looks at the kids. So this is the thing, the Frosty's box artwork, the eyes on the tiger look down the aisle at the kids. That's really creepy. So that the kids are like, it's looking at me, I want it. And <laughs> eye contact drives engagement. Wow, I'm in. And so someone I think we were going to go here. But like, I was given academic advice that selfies improve engagement. And so I I I didn't do things by half. That famous (laughs) recruitment poster for the army where it's like, we need you. Yeah, Yeah, quite. It's like that, but but every day of my face. They don't need you. (laughs) That's good. Uh, Well, there you go. That's my defense. Hey, look, I'm 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 not vain. I'm academic. I am vain. Um, (laughs) And so I can't do it enough. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Okay, good. All right, we'll move on to the next section now. Can I get a volunteer from the audience? Someone incredibly glamorous and skilled and strong-armed. Someone... Don't be a coward, put your hand in, yeah. get in. All right, can I get a microphone as well? Okay, here we have the, um, the wheel of startups. This has been made purposely for this, that's a lie, we made it in the office. Um, on there, it's just a range of different questions for quick fire about some certain subject, and I'd like to come up and spin the wheel, if you would. And if you are able to, if you could translate what's written in hieroglyphics by Micah on there, <laughs> and um, we will put this to the, to the crowd, sorry, to the contestants with quick fire answers, Two questions and spin. This is cool. Top three considerations when hiring someone. Oh, nice. I'm in. And we'll start with Patrick. Mm. Have you hired anyone yet? Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, Mary actually does a lot of the hiring. Um, my co-founder. I would say uh, things I look for are, top three things I look for are intelligence, um, grit, and kindness. I think, you know, intelligence is, is like important, but by no means will, you know, is by no means sufficient. By grit, I mean specifically like, are they hardworking and are they determined and are they persistent? Um, and do they have a clear, 
are they good at having sort of clarity about what they want? Um, and then kindness, uh, I think, is just a good measure of like, it's just a value that's important at our company. And I think it's a good measure of people's emotional intelligence as well. Amazing. Molly? Experience, enthusiasm, and drive. How much experience? And what do you mean by that? It be years of experience. It's experience in a specific, like, if you're hiring a generalist, you want somebody to have got, you know, their fingers in all the pies. They've actually had experience like picking something up. Marketing, we hired our social media manager. She was a recruiter. She had a famous sausage dog on Instagram. That was perfect. I was like, yes, that's that. the experience I want. Yeah. She'd never done it before. She's absolutely fucking brilliant. Amazing. Um, it's experience in seeing that quality in somebody that you then want them to perform at your company. Yes. Okay, yeah. good. All right. Um, mine would be people who don't get offended easily. That's it. That's, all, that's <laughs> the only requirement to work in my office. Um, uh, I think... Uh, Fit with the values of the company, um, a belief that they will add something to the team, either you know, intellectually competence or 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 in, or in culture. And then my big question is: Would I be super excited to go and work to work with this? Like, do I feel like privileged to work with them? Uh, so, that, and that's a real intangible thing that is really hard to put it on. But it's like, if it, you know, if it's not, I am super excited. I can't wait to. I get the opportunity to work with this person. Probably. Uh, mine are, can they take the pace? The thing that always slips us up is people who just don't want that life. And I totally respect someone who doesn't, but we're not for them, they're not for us. Um, how do they learn and self-develop? So we'll, we're like hungry for anyone who takes their own self-development seriously and is proactive in that stuff. And then the third thing is, are they really great for the job you really need? And I've made like just messed up so many times hiring phenomenal people who are not quite what we need right now and we're too small to be able to make that work so being really specific all of you have said intelligence as part of your self-development and how to grow how do you how do you test for intelligence during an interview process i didn't say no, i didn't say it. you you did <laughs> None of you said it. I'm not intelligent. Well, like, I don't Because I wasn't listening. <laughs> yeah. But I heard you say, you didn't you say it? Also you depends on the job. He said that. We've recorded this. Yeah. It depends on the, the job. So I think job fit is a point here, right? Some jobs, like emotional intelligence is more yeah. important. Mm. Some, some jobs, right. like um, analytical or, or that sort of like uh, lateral thinking. So like for engineers, um, it's like, are they good at um, sort of problem solving is... is one of the things and nice. one of the ways we test that so we do obviously like practical tests um, like coding tests and stuff like that but we also do like those uh, cognitive tests that you can get oh, wow. online you know where yeah. people have to choose the next shape in the sequence or whatever we found people who score highly on that and general arithmetic generally perform well our business has quite a lot you know even for the operational side of the business you're dealing with cap tables and you know investments yeah. and stuff like that. So there's mm. quite a lot of maths involved, I guess. I think it depends on the role. I think sometimes you want a thinker, sometimes you want a doer, sometimes you want both. Yeah. Saying it really does depend yes. on the role. Yeah. Yeah, which is another slightly different thing, which is like personality type or whatever, yeah. right? Um, we did try doing those like Myers-Briggs type things as well. Mm. We've had like mixed results on that. I feel like people can game those tests a little bit. They also spit out different results depending on like hasn't what day of the week hasn't Myers-Briggs Myers-Briggs basically been debunked yeah. because yeah, it yeah, can't yeah. reproduce results I mean we don't use that we use something else that's like it five personalities but 
Yeah, but, we stopped but using isn't it. Isn't there a real risk of discrimination now? Like, what personality are you looking for? Well, look, to be clear, we don't use this anymore. We've like <laughs> stopped using it because we were like, I don't know if this works. Save but it. The idea is you input like the type of role they're going to be doing and then it will say, okay, you need people who are behaviorally more structured or behaviorally less structured. You need people who are behaviorally, yeah. you know, more detail-oriented or less detail-oriented. And then it and will find a range where it's like, this is the sort of person, right? Because ultimately, like, I don't know, someone like in biz dev, it's more important that they're, like, gregarious than that they're, like, very organized. Um, yeah. Although organized BDs is, are useful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I did get your name. Sorry. It's Olivia. Olivia, would you mind spinning again, please, Olivia? Things you should always include in your elevator pitch. A high five. No, okay. Um, yeah, I'll go, yeah. The, big, the big thing for this on any pitch deck is why us, why now, right? So there's all of the usual stuff, management team, business model, what you're trying to do, the vision, all of the stuff you have to put in. But fundamentally, the real question for an investor is why us? Why this team? Why and why now? Why invest now? Right? So, and that's the thing I think is missed so much. Everyone tells people what they do. Everyone tells people like what the business model is, and people forget the real question is why wouldn't it? If, it, if it's an elevator pitch to an investor, so there's different elevator pitches. It's an elevator pitch to an investor is why would you invest? Why would you want to invest in us to do this thing? And why is it important you invest now rather than? in a year's time when you just have those things. I think that's missed so much. Everyone just covers the basics. We do this. We want to change the world. We want to democratize this. Like, the real question is, why, why is this team going to win? And why should we invest now? Great. Um, on Odin, you obviously get a lot of people pitching, a lot of these micro pitches. And what, um, what do you, what, what's your view on this in terms of what they need to include in that? first sort of spiel which is going to get people going obviously if we have this conversation six months ago it was nft web3 or whatever <laughs> a dow or whatever that means um but like what what is it now what do people need to put in there i think people so paul graham's got really good guidance on this stuff but i think it's always like try not to be too abstract like be very concrete about what you do now right like so that's you need to be able to put the idea in someone's head and they're instantly like okay i understand what you do and how it's relevant to me um so I think that needs to be like the main thing. Um, so you need to be able to sell someone very succinctly. I mean, this is marketing 101, right? Like, you know, what you do and why it's relevant to them. Um, rather than trying to be too fluffy or vague, use too many big words. Um, and I think beyond that, I mean, in terms of like fundraising narrative generally, I think it's like be concrete and then show that there's a big TAM, um, addressable market. And then thirdly, like demonstrate growth. Like startups are basically just about growth. Like, again, there's a great Paul Graham piece where he's like startup equals growth. Um, they say a good growth rate for a seed stage startup is 7% a week, which is very fast, right? That's like 30% 30, 30 a month. Like you're really taking off if you're doing that. But if you can show those sorts of numbers, it becomes very evident to a VC that even if the niche you're going after right now is small, there must be market pull here. There must be momentum. And you know, venture to a large extent, in my opinion, is like momentum investing, right? It's going after something where there's, especially in software, where there's not much technology risk, right? And it's more like market risk. Um, I think it's in stuff like bio or material science, it's probably very different, right? 
it's more like way more technical. But yeah. And by, and by 7% a week growth, you mean growth in debt. That's what you mean, right? Yeah. <laughs> Easy. Okay. Any metric. Any metric at all. It's just growth. Okay. Um, and from the sales side, do you have an opinion on this? Yeah. Well, I think when I'm giving an elevator pitch, it's like in a bar or in the gym or on a plane. It's in the gym? Never... Why are you working out? Say that out of the story. Well, so, but like the point is the way I pitch is to win, like to get new conversations with yeah. people who might want to have a discussion about marketing or might want to join my community. And so I'm doing that like everywhere. That's absolutely not just a VC. And I think what's really important for me is to understand that that pitch has to be totally comprehensible. And actually all I want from that is some kind of emotional connection. So my elevator pitch would all be about how can I include a story or a moment of like vulnerability, which comes back to what we were saying earlier about building relationships that makes that two minute interaction something that someone's going to follow up on. I'm way more motivated by that, like just getting across a loose sense of what I do and building something that means that someone's going to drop me an email or give me a call, um, which is a very different intent to like what three bullet points are you going to convey? Right. I mean, I'm talking more about like on our... Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, all, yeah, it's all context. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Suffer for the lies and tell them you're going to be a unicorn. Yeah, that one. Amen. <laughs> Love that. I mean... I mean... I mean. <laughs> Olivia, would you mind spinning again, please? Because <laughs> we dropped that bombshell, we're done. Okay, what we got? The most expendable department in a startup is <laughs> finance, <laughs> or like operations, or Ooh. I mean, yeah, Ooh. easy. This is this could this has danger of just alienating an entire section. Do it. <laughs> I don't think any department is by by definition expendable, but I think the area where where there is going to be the most change is sales and business development. So, Ooh. like, not because it's expendable at all, but because it's very hard to get right, and the churn in sales departments is higher than any other part of any business. Department. So you hire you, you hire people. Sales, we always want sales to be quicker. Everyone wants sales to be quicker. Sales has the highest churn, and I think therefore makes it's the most difficult thing to get right. I think that's because the product's not right or because sales itself isn't right i think it's really hard to learn how if you so if you take a startup and you take the experience of most startups which are generally founder led the founder generally does the most sales to begin with that's what gets the product that's what gets product market fit that's what gets people to invest at some point you have to move from founder led uh marketing to we have a sales team with account execs and sdrs and a pipeline and a funnel and all that good stuff and that's just a fucking hard transition and it's just like it's not because there's anything wrong it's just it's really hard as a founder you can say things you can be more believable you have way more stories you have all the history of the business to in, to be able to give you yeah, great yeah. copy great conversations great emotional buy-in as a founder you can do things that other people can't do and i think when you're trying to build that sales team the founder tries to say well this is what i do and you yeah, go and do it translate. and then you have an sdr trying to say things that the founder of the business would say and it doesn't have the ring of truth and therefore you it takes a long time to get that bit right and it takes a long time to get that bit right when you go from selling to smes to selling to enterprises or selling to the public sector there's just a lot of work involved in it and there's a lot of change and you you're very lucky if you get it right straight away and i think going back to the whole vc thing like that's where lots of issues come in because if sales don't quite go the way VCs want, 
then suddenly you're into the whole, what do we do? Where's this going? How do we raise more money? And that's the thing. So I think that sales bit is so important, but it's probably the hardest bit to get. Okay. No other comments on that? Um, I can say, I think generally in startups, there's a problem of using hiring and people growth as a proxy for actual growth. So I don't think there's one particular function that is more expendable than the others. I think the startups have a tendency, they raise money, they get overexcited, they overhire, they think that makes them look great. Oh, we're in our, you know, LinkedIn's fastest growing startups. That's based on people, not anything else, just people. And that's mental. Like, that's not fast growth, that's just fast hiring. Inefficient capitalism. Yeah, it is. And you're just like, I'll just add more people and hope that that moves revenue. It's not going to. One of my favorite stats is like Craigslist has over a billion turnover and still has only 50 employees. Yeah. And never raised money. Yeah, Yeah, you want... Um, efficient, efficient capital expenditure and a high margin business. That's what yeah. you want. Exactly. And that's what VCs want ultimately yeah. as well. I, I think, yeah, I think that's a really good point, which is like, you can really end up sort of trying to throw people at problems rather than being like, are we solving the problem? Like, is yeah. more people going to solve this problem? And I'll then to build worse. on that, <laughs> I think hiring like two or three junior people is a mistake that we've made um, when maybe you could hire someone more senior and get somewhere faster and then if you hire the senior person, they can go and hire the junior people as well. So then you take yourself out of like yeah. the hiring equation, means you can spend more time on sales, means you can spend more time on yeah. other things that move the needle. All my staff that are actually here in the show right now are all panicking. <laughs> are we out? <laughs> Olivia, would you mind to me again, please? I think just to oh, one, sorry, I just, I just, I just thought, actually, one more ask. thought on that. I don't know what's happening to HR. I don't know the data on this, but I don't think businesses hire people or HR the fun place yeah well exactly right as early as you should yeah and like it literally just jumped into my head that i was like oh yeah. like, i tried to hire a head of people did the did all the first run interviews and just found myself in in like quite endearing first run interviews where people would be talking about how they'd managed transition from 300 people to 2000 people and i was thinking like cool we're going from 16 to 25 <laughs> like i'm gonna like end this call and send you some flowers and say i'm really sorry for wasting your time but it did make me think that like, yeah, maybe we're all getting it wrong. And actually, you know, if we are going to be hiring through people, Molly, as you say, like if that is how you're going to scale, then you've got to support it properly. So, and I think we're all assuming it is. Dis- yeah, I, I think it's an underrated role. Like, I, yeah, I, I feel like it's a bit lost and I, think, I don't think it's got so I think serial right. founders really is often one of the first hires they make. Yeah. Is like a really good head of people or chief of staff or exactly. whatever you call it, right? Because then really they rated. can go and do the initial screening of all the candidates and stuff yeah. like that, which is what you spend a lot of time doing, right? Like, where are we going to find people? Yeah, and if, if your growth is going to come through people and that is the right strategic decision, then fucking hell, look after them. Yes, yeah. Do that properly. So I think yeah. maybe that's the mistake we're all making. I think, uh, what do we get, Olivia? Sorry. Um, we got things you should never say to a VC. Oh, I've literally no interest in growth. It's <laughs> <laughs> quite comfortable. Really you, like I'm really doing this so I can take some secondary and just not really work. Is that all right? Yeah, basically, we're in. Uh, <laughs> we're, in. Uh, we're, we're making a couple of investments here. We're in. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing is, um, and it's something that lots of founders say, is these numbers are conservative. Um, <laughs> I say that all the time. These numbers are conservative while showing a year five revenue projection that is the GDP of a small country. <laughs> like, these numbers, they're just, it's just maths. It just... This is going to happen. And these numbers that we think we could do quicker is basically, and you're like, I was really excited. I love meeting you. I love what you're trying to do. And now I'm like, 
Are you fucking nuts? <laughs> so, what should you, so what should you say instead? Admit that they are what they are, which is a projection of you've got a reasonable expectation what you might do next year, half an idea what the second year is, and year five is if what happens if the moon, the sun, Pluto, Venus and Saturn align, and it's a Tuesday, it just, it's what might happen if every fucking decision we ever make is perfect. Right. And I think, accept it, right? Accept it. This is how we've built it. This is the assumption we've got it on. This is what it does. It shows that number. It's a version. It shows you that it could go this way. But when people go, oh, we think it's conservative. We're going to be a billion dollar company next year. You're like, you're doing about £3.80 in revenue. No, you're fucking not. Like, it's just not going to happen. And that's fine it's not going to happen. But just, it just ruins credibility when you try and pretend they are conservative because they're not okay all right anything else you don't think you should say to a vc so much so, so much <laughs> so much yeah everything apparently because yeah. it goes back to that power imbalance yeah. so you should say nothing don't say we're fundraising say we're not raising yeah you can never say you're fundraising we're not raising but never say fundraising. yeah but if you write me uh, no, no i will do it really yeah, yeah, we're yeah. Not fundraising, but i'm going to close this non-fundraising period <laughs> in a month yeah <laughs> i've right, got time for one more spin and then um i'm going to wrap up Things you should never say in a general Slack channel. I actually, uh, I did, I, no, I'm gonna save that story for another time. Um, but yeah, anyway, what things you shouldn't say in a general Slack channel? I just post stuff in the wrong Slack channels all the time. Selfies? No selfies, just things that were meant for someone else. Oh. So I think just- You're fired. <laughs> general. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything that is meant for one person, don't put it in general. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say, don't follow someone in a general Slack channel. I think they are. Yeah. <laughs> no, no criticism. I think praise is always good in yeah. public and then criticize in, in private. Yeah. Um, and then I, I saw a funny post. I don't know if this will translate, but did anyone see that tweet where the guys put like, guys, I'm stuck in the lift in Slack. <laughs> and then the Slack bot says, sorry, guys is a gendered pronoun. <laughs> <laughs> Please use something neutral like folks. And he's like, folks, I'm stuck in the lift. I love that. Right. I don't use gender pronouns, apparently. Okay, good. Well, on that wonderful note, we'll end this section. Um, so we have one more question which uh, before we end up. And thank you very much for your time and commitment. I just want to know, between you, as you're all alumni of the show, I just want to know which one of you thinks you've had the most listens of your episode with over half a million. Oh, wow. Who do you think it is? Not me. Not me. I think we've all got to say it's not us. So we can, should we all do the yeah, yeah. humble, it's who, not us. It's who do you lit. think it is? Who do you think no, it is? No, but I know I was a bit offensive. <laughs> who do you think it is? Who do you think it is? <laughs> I think it's Lottie. I'm going to bet David or Lottie. But I need to, if I have to pick one, I'm going to say David. David. Not me, is it? What do you say? Well, I think I pissed off the founder of Thursday and he put it on his TikTok. Oh, shit. It's probably you. Great. It is Lottie. All right. <laughs> guys, thanks so much for coming on. This is Round Floors. Thank you very much. You guys, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. <laughs> and, and a round of for Olivia, the camera's assistant who's now left. She's just disappeared. Oh, there she is. Okay. Thanks so much, guys. Um, please tune in. You can find us at the Back Self Show on Spotify. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you.